So we're in uh, the God experience. And uh, a few years ago, uh, I was in Africa with some friends of mine. We had just finished establishing a young men's ministry uh, called Gents Camp in a city in Zambia. And then we were doing some sightseeing in the city of Livingston at Victoria Falls, if anyone's been there, magical place, it's incredible. One of the things that we got to do was uh, whitewater rafting down the Zambezi River. And the crew that I was with, we were, you know, there were five of us, we all, well, most of us were sort of mid-twenties, most of us are over six foot, full of adventure, enthusiasm, excitement, and unmissable as uh, we're going through the, um, the city of, of Livingston. And so they took us through this safety induction before we got to go on the river, and they explained uh, what to do if the raft tips upside down and you get uh, thrown from the raft. We had to try and hold on to the, there's a rope that runs around the side, you hold on as tightly as possible, uh, you go under, and then uh, if, the, if the water pulls you down, then you just wait, relax, your life jacket will, will bring you up, and everything's going to be okay. And so we knew, we knew, we had the knowledge of what it was going to be like to be thrown out of the raft. Now, they explained that there are five categories of rapid and that a Category 5 is the most intense rapid that they are legally allowed to take us through as tourists, and that the course we were running had two Category 5 rapids, and we were just rubbing our hands together, excited about the prospect of of going through something like that. So there we are, going down the river, and uh, honestly, we were just being an absolute nuisance. We were just being a pest to all of the other groups on the river at that time, because we were chanting loudly, we were singing, we were belting out, uh, land down under, uh, choruses of, you know, we're happy little Vegemites running down the, the Zambezi River. And, uh, and then we, we approached this level, this Category 5 rapid called the Terminator. And we were the only group that chose to go through it. Uh, and it didn't look like much. We were like, ah, oh, it's not as intense as the other ones that we've gone through. But then as we approached it, suddenly the, the, this, this void opened up in front of us. And it was like the water disappeared and the raft just went nose down And then that was followed by this incredible wall of water in front of us that lifted the raft up and just threw us over backwards like ragdolls into the water. So we did what we were told to do. We grabbed the rope, and as we came down, I tell you, I I don't know how it happened, but the the force of the water just sucking you down from the boat just ripped my hands from from the rope. And I was down, and it was pitch black under the water, and I was disoriented, getting thrown around by the current. I had no idea what's going on. I just had to wait for the life jacket to bring me up. And eventually I surfaced and it was still pitch black. And I realized that I'd surfaced underneath the raft. So I had to uh, try and find the edge, snatch a breath, and then come out. And uh, I tell you, we were all shocked. <laughs> we were visibly shaken. One of my mates was bleeding from his head. Somehow he'd, he'd get a, got a knock in the process. And I tell you, there were no more happy little Vegemites <laughs> singing down the Zambezi River. You see, we knew what it was going to be like, in theory, to get thrown out of a boat in a Category 5 rapid. But in a much more real way, we had no idea until we'd actually experienced what it was like. So this series called The God Experience is a bit of a challenging title if you're someone like me who's grown up in church because we're taught that we can't rely on our experience that God reveals himself through scripture and that if we have experience and and we we have feelings and emotions that we need to take those to scripture and ask for God's lens on how to interpret those. And we can't let it work the other way around. 
In fact, we're taught to be wary of experience-based Christianity as a wishy-washy substitute for a faith that's built on the solid foundation of Scripture. And yet the underpinning idea of this whole series is that your next step in your journey with God requires another experience of Him. Not knowledge, but experience of God. So how does that work? Well, the reason that it works is because of the Uh, biblical words for what it means to know. Because in our society, in Western society, we we think of knowledge as, you know, to know means to to wrap your head around, to comprehend something. You've got all of the facts assembled and you can explain it. And you could sit the test and you would pass with flying colours. But that's not what the Bible says in the Old Testament because the Hebrew word yada, which uh, means to know, it's the verb, is a much more comprehensive definition. Okay, To know is not to be intellectually informed about some abstract principle, but to apprehend and experience reality. Knowledge is not the possession of information, but rather its exercise or actualization. And so the emphasis here is that in order to actually know God, in order for your, for your knowledge to be something that's real in your life, you actually have to experience what is going on. In the same way that our crew knew what it was going to be like to get thrown out of a raft, but we didn't actually know until that experience was made real in our lives. And that was a much more profound understanding of the reality of that truth. And it's the same with God. You can have all the knowledge about him that you desire, but unless you have experienced him in your life, then you don't have a real and living relationship with God. It's purely theoretical. So have you experienced God in your life? The Old Testament saints knew who God was because they had experienced him, and we see many occasions in the Old Testament where they name a place after a particular experience of God. God reveals himself to them, and then they name that place based on that characteristic of God. So, for instance, Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 is is walking up the mountain with with Isaac and we have the sacrifice situation. And then God steps in and there's a ram that's provided caught in a thicket nearby. And Abraham is relieved at the provision of God. And so he names that place El Yireh or Jireh if you want to pronounce the J. And it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And El Yireh means the Lord will provide. And so it is actually the experiential knowledge of what was the learnt knowledge that has a profound enough experience for him to name that place the Lord will provide. Similarly, in the story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, she flees out into the desert with her son Ishmael and she's caught in a desperate situation. They're going to starve. Unless somebody intervenes, they're perishing. And so God meets her there and comforts her and gives her a promise and sustains her. And then it is at that moment where she says, at last I've seen the God who sees me. And then that well is called Be'er Laharoi, which is the God who sees. El Roy means God who sees. And so we see this a lot of the time in the Old Testament that God reveals his character through a particular experience. And it's that experience which confirms the knowledge that we have been taught. And so the underpinning idea to our whole series is that your next step in your journey with God is not about your knowledge. It's about your experience of him in your life. So can I ask you the question, have you experienced God 
in your life? Has God shown up in a way that undeniably confirms who he reveals himself to be in Scripture? Can you look back on your life and say, I know God is my provider because of that time when he provided for me. I know God is my protector because of that moment when he shielded me. I know God is good because of that time when I was able to taste and see the goodness of God. Do you have an experience of God at all? Or is your relationship with him purely theoretical? Is it only based on what you know? You see, there is one experience of God which underpins absolutely everything else. And if you haven't had this one experience of God, then nothing that we're doing over the next six or seven weeks is going to have any impact on you whatsoever. In fact, you may as well be treading water as a Christian because if you haven't had this one experience, then you might need to think about what your relationship with God actually is. It may come as no surprise to those of you who have been well-churched that the one truth that the gospel is built on is that God loves you. Everything God does and has done is because God loves you and he wants to pursue a love relationship with you. Now, notice how that's worded, okay? Because God loves you is different. It's not as much as saying God wants to pursue a love relationship with you. You know, there's a famous scene in one of the Star Wars movies where Princess Leia and Han Solo share this this passionate kiss, and then Han Solo gets ripped away, uh, and and they're about to take him off to be uh, incinerated or executed, both the same thing, I guess. And and they're looking at each other, and then Princess uh, Leia says across, you know, I love you. And then Harrison Ford responds, I know. (laughs) And apparently the moment was totally unscripted, and now it's sort of an iconic film moment. Um, And just as a word of advice to you husbands out there, don't do it. It's not going to go well for you. I mean, I'm not talking from experience here, but you might just call it pastoral intuition. Just, it's not going to go well. But you see, that is a one-sided relationship. That is a knowledge of love without it actually making any change, without it actually changing anything that you are doing. Because the the fact is that God loves you, but what are you going to do about it? Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 30, that this is the most important commandment, that you love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so do you love God? Or are you like Han Solo? And you say, I know, but you don't let it actually affect your life. It's one thing to say God loves you. It's another thing to ask, what are you going to do about it? Has that impacted your life at all? If you'd like to open your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is telling a story of two sons who both know that their father loves them, but only one of them experiences the love of his father. Luke 15 starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so we have here a young man who says to his father, look, I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. I can't stick around for you to die. You know, I've got important things to do now as a young man. It's going to be inconvenient for me to get my inheritance later. I want it now. And so he takes his inheritance and then he goes and he spends it on his own priorities, on his own life, on the way that he thinks his life should be led. He buys himself a nice car. He buys himself a wardrobe of fancy clothes. He heads out to the valley and begins his life of partying and he spends all of his money on alcohol and women and parties. And soon enough, he can't afford his car repayments and so the the car gets repossessed. And so finally, he's hungry and destitute. The only job that he can get is as a dish pig in a local fish and chip shop downtown. But his wages aren't enough to put a roof over his head, so he has to sleep out the back in the alleyway behind the fish and chip shop. Of course, that's how Jesus might tell that story in our context today. But in the context of first century Palestine, this man is in the lowest of low positions. He is below the pigs. He's feeding them and he can't even eat what they are eating. No one's paying him any attention. No one is looking after him. But he comes to his senses in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And so this son is like the person who has no concern for God whatsoever. They don't care that God exists. They certainly don't care that God loves them. And they would much rather spend their life on their own priorities, pursuing their own dreams, fulfilling their own fantasies, and misspending their inheritance. Make no mistake, every single one of us has taken our inheritance from God. Because if you are alive this morning, That is your inheritance. You didn't birth yourself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't decide to be born. God made you. God designed you. God decided you would be born. And so the very fact that you're breathing this morning shows that you have the inheritance from God. So how are you spending it? Are you spending it running from him? Or are you spending it for him? Who is the most important person in your life? Is it you or is it God? Because the fact is God loves you, but the question is, do you love God? 
See, this young man knew that his father loved him, but it wasn't real to him until he returned and he experienced what that love was like. And it came at this moment where he came to his senses and he realized that things are better in his father's house. Now, I remember the first person that I ever led to Christ. Her name was Julia. And she was 15 years old. And she was uh, what we call an emo. Um, does anyone remember that subgroup in society? Uh, emo is short for emotional. So these people would um, wear black and uh, dye their hair black and normally wear heavy makeup. And it was kind of like a, a billboard advertisement that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I've got a lot of feelings. I'm going through some stuff. It's different to a goth. Okay. A goth is somebody who dresses in black, uh, but they're like, you know, I, I love the darkness and the darkness loves me. Um, but, but an emo is like, you know, black is how I feel. So we're on a youth camp, and <laughs> just, I, I thought it was important for you to know the distinction. Because, uh, I mean, one's Batman and one is My Chemical Romance. Very different. So we're on this youth camp. And um, I, was giving, I was sharing my testimony about how uh, you know, God had moved in my life and about how God had, had provided for me and intervened in, in certain moments and just shown that he loved me and that God loves you too and that God wants to pursue a love relationship with you. And after uh, that, after giving my testimony, this, this girl, Julia, she came up to me uh, of her own accord. It was actually a very brave thing to do. The program was, was there were still things happening and she came up to me and she said, look, my life is a mess right now, and I can see that you've got something that I need. Can you help me? And so in that moment, I was able to share the gospel message with her, which is that all of us are like this wayward son who have taken our inheritance and we've misspent it on our own priorities, on our own things instead of loving God. And that if we want to invite and accept the love of God into our lives, then it requires us to repent from our sins, to turn to God and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so in that moment when she made that decision, there was a visible change across her face. Underneath the dark makeup, there was a smile. And she kind of skipped off to tell her friends how excited she was that she had just become a Christian. And there was a noticeable difference over the last couple of days of the camp as her demeanor changed because she had experienced the love of God. It was more than just a knowledge. It was an experience. And there might be some people here who are just like that first son, just like Julia. You know that you've never actually accepted Jesus. You know that you've not had an experience of him. You may have been misspending your life on your own things. Well, God is calling you back to him this morning. Things are better in your father's house and you need to experience the love of God. Would you let Jesus in this morning? You see, for, for me to say that he pursues a love relationship with you, God's not just sitting there inactive waiting. It means that God actually pursues us. He made the first move. He didn't wait for you to warm up to him. He didn't wait for you to decide that actually God might be real or God might be okay. Because Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because 2,000 years ago, God made the first move when he sent Jesus to the earth to die on a cross not just as a demonstration of his love for us, but as a way that we are able to experience his love through the forgiveness of sins and the receiving 
of the Holy Spirit. And it's possible that there are people here this morning who need to make that decision. God pursues us even now. But the story doesn't finish there because there is a second son. And this son knows the love of his father, but he has not experienced it. From verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you nev- I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so this second son is like the Christian who has grown up their whole life in the church and they've been baptized and they know the creed, they know the catechism, they've been confirmed or whatever tradition of church you grew up in. And yet somehow a real experience, a real knowledge of who God is in their life has escaped them because they are focused on these three things. Because this second son is too focused on his serving. He stayed his whole life in his father's house, serving him. He was serving on the communion team. He was serving in kids and in youth and young adults ministry. Grew up and even became a deacon in the church. What's more, had been tithing to the church his whole life since his first paycheck. And yet somehow a genuine experience of God's love escaped him his whole life. Because the thing is, God's love cannot be earned by our serving. And it doesn't matter how faithful you are in that, unless you've actually decided to accept God's love for who you are, then you've missed out on what God is really offering in the gospel. And the second reason is that he is too preoccupied with his own righteousness. He looks at his track record and he says, I've never once disobeyed you. I've done everything that you've told me to do. And and in the back of his mind or even in the front of his mind, he thinks that surely this is enough merit for you to love me because I am holy and I am righteous. Surely God loves me. I've been a Christian. I've been in church my whole life. And it misses the point completely because God just wants you. God knows you're not righteous and he has a way to make that right. And the third thing is that he is too focused on other people's stories of grace because he does not have one of his own. And church, I feel the need to plead with you this morning because this is a reality still in our churches today. And it's even likely that somebody here has grown up in church their whole life but has not experienced the love of God. Your knowledge is purely theoretical and that this third fixation is the final straw for you. Because it's how you react to other people's stories of grace that demonstrate whether you have one of your own at all. So if you hear the story of somebody's 
dramatic conversion from a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll to to serving God passionately and, and vibrantly and wholeheartedly? Or if you hear a story of God moving overtly and supernaturally in somebody's life, how does that sit with you? Do you rejoice in your spirit at the thought of another lost soul being found? Or is there even a little bit of jealousy or confusion? Because you know that you haven't had an experience like that in your own life. You see, it's how you react to hearing other people's stories of grace that is going to determine whether you have actually had one of your own at all. And I need to plead with you this morning because God wants more for your life than that. God wants a love relationship with you. And the stakes are too high for you to go on as a faithful servant while your soul is dry and empty. You need an experience of God. And God is wanting to come into your heart today. You know, there was a pastor who was running a a church meeting. And there were some decisions that needed to be made in, in this meeting. And there was one particular deacon who disagreed with decisions as they were being made. And he grew increasingly frustrated to the point where he stood up and he exclaimed to everyone that he was resigning from all of his offices of service. And he stormed out. And the pastor knew that things were not necessarily going that well for him in his home life at the moment. There were some issues with the kids. It was creating some marital stress. And so as he met with that man, that deacon, during the week, he asked him this question. Can you describe your relationship with God as a love relationship? And in that moment, the deacon realized that, no, he couldn't. It was all about his obedience. It was all about his serving. It was all about his righteousness. And he didn't know that his father, God, just wanted him, just wanted a love relationship with him. And that is the difference between someone who comes to church and serves out of obligation And somebody who comes to church and is just filled with the joy of God because they have experienced him in his own life. And I'll just invite Anthony up. And if you're on the prayer team, then um, now would be a good time to, to move over to the side. Because there are some people here who are like that second son. You've grown up in church, but you've never actually had an experience of God of your own. And when you hear a story of somebody else's Uh, experience of grace that just cements even more in your own mind that you haven't got that. Well, God is wanting to offer an experience of his love this morning because God still loves you. God still wants to pursue a love relationship with you. And he wants to enter your life this morning. Would you let him in? You know, I believe that God is wanting to to move our church forward over the next couple of months, but sometimes that requires a little bit of shift in what's going on inside of us. It requires us to to break up that that stubbornness and and that hard heart that can sometimes be sitting there. It requires us to hand over our fallow ground to Him for preparing, for breaking up, so that the soil can be refreshed, so that the new seeds can be planted, so that the new growth and the new season can come. And we know that in order to do that, we need to experience God's love. And you know whether that's you this morning. Because it says in Romans 5.5, that hope does not put us to shame, but God had, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that who has been given to us. 
And so this morning, God wants to pour his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And there might be some people here who need to respond to God like the first son. You've never known Jesus in your own life, but you know that that's something that needs to change today. Then would you come and would you experience the love of God for the first time? And there are going to be some people here who are like that second son, like that deacon who have gone your whole life in church, but have never really had that experience confirmed in your own heart. What would you say to God today? It is going to be different. I don't want my relationship with God to be purely theoretical anymore. I want you to enter my heart and I want you to experience my love. I want to experience your love, pardon me. There might be a third category of people here who who you know God and you love God and you've experienced God's love in your life. But when that happens, you find that there's a hunger, there's a desire for more. You still want God to be moving and doing things in your own life and you want him to refresh you. Then would you do business with God this morning as well? Invite him into your heart. Invite him in his love into your life. Henry Blackaby, who who wrote this book, tells a story of when he met a girl at a hotel check-in desk who recognised his name and proceeded to tell him the story of when she had decided she was going to take her own life. And she was on her way to the place that she had predetermined when a friend called out and and grabbed her by the arm and basically had to drag her over to to this meeting that night where they were going through this, this devotional book, Experiencing God. And then it was as she heard about the fact that God loves her, God wants to pursue a love relationship with her, that she suddenly realized it was all true. And she felt tangibly and physically the presence and the love of God fill her heart and fill her life. And from that moment, her life turned around. Her circumstances started to shift. And there are some people who might need that experience this morning. But I just ask that everyone uh, stand Because as we come now to a a moment of response, you might know that you need that experience of God. And you need to respond. And here's how we're going to do it. The prayer team is over here on the side waiting for you. They're there to be able to speak with you and, and to pray with you and to invite God's love and his presence into your life. But if that's you, don't delay. You can move across there now even as God is is speaking to you in this moment. We don't do this every week. Don't worry about what's going on. Don't worry about the fact that the lights are on or that that people are are still speaking or, or looking because what you're doing is you're doing business with God, not with anyone else in the room. So would you make your way over to the prayer team now? We're about to come into a time of worship and so at any point during the music, during the prayer, Would you respond? Would you make today different? Would you invite the loving presence of God into your life? And look, I'm going to make the offer because the baptism is still full. But if there's somebody here who still needs to make that step of faith to follow Jesus, or you know that God's been tapping you on the shoulder and said that you need to be obedient to Jesus in order to get baptized and to declare publicly your faith, then I'm going to be down here on the side of the auditorium, my left, your right. And I'll get in the water. We've got towels. We've got changes of clothes. 
So don't let any of that stop you. The only obstacle here is the one that's in your heart. So at any point during the music, during the prayer, would you make your move and by coming with your feet, say to God that you want to do business with him. So we'll close our eyes. Heavenly Father, in this moment of response, we just ask for your presence and your courage. God, we know that your gospel message is one that demands a response, that it can't be proclaimed without the need for us to do something about it, that your love is not just a love that says, I love you, do what you want. It says, I love you and I want you to love me. And God, we want to be people who serve you, not out of obligation, but out of the overflow of a spirit of joy and thankfulness because we know that we've experienced God. We've experienced you in our life. We've experienced your love. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us now that as our hearts are open and as we want to receive you, that you would come and that you would move powerfully in our midst. I pray for courage. Thank you, Jesus.